grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As we go through the rest of the season of Lent, we're blessed to hear some readings from the Gospel of John for the next few weeks. They're interesting readings because in each of them we're going to hear about how a person interacts with Jesus. Different people. Today it's Nicodemus. Next week, the woman at the well. After that, the man who was born blind and was healed. And after that, Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Different individuals who had an amazing encounter with Christ, their Savior, and found in him eternal life. You can imagine why that would be comforting for us during Lent. As we go through Lent, this is a time for us, through repentance and faith, to come back to Christ. To come with contrite hearts, knowing our sin, crushed for what we have done and been, and asking his mercy, but at the same time also coming in faith. As we confess our sins, we believe that the forgiveness which Christ won is ours. And we cling to that forgiveness, and we cling to that grace, and we live in that forgiveness and grace. So that repentance has two parts, both contrition, being crushed over our sins, and faith, trusting in him, for the forgiveness of sins by the blood of Christ shed on the cross. Now, Nicodemus learned a lot about that in our reading today. So, too, will the others that we'll hear about during Lent. What's interesting is Nicodemus wasn't the only one to have an encounter with God in our readings today. Of course, you also heard about Abram. Now, I want you to think for a moment about Abram. Here he was living in his own homeland, and God comes and chooses him out of all the people on the earth to make into a great nation, to bless so that one of his descendants would be a blessing to all nations. This was an amazing gift, wasn't it? Now think about it for a moment. There's absolutely nothing in Genesis that tells us that God chose Abram for any reason other than his own will. It doesn't say, now there was a good man living in the land and he was someone who always prayed to God and was very faithful and always tried to do his best and therefore God called him and said, go from your land to a land I will show you. It doesn't say anything at all. It's just all of a sudden Abram appears out of the blue, God speaking to him and saying, go. I think that's very interesting. God chose Abram by his own will. Even the faith that Abram had was something the Spirit worked in him. For no one has ever believed in God by their own power. It's always something the Spirit does. So when Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, in other words, when Abraham believed God that his promises would be kept, even though everything he saw around him seemed to speak otherwise, he counted on God's word, God counted that to him as righteousness, and that trust also is something the Holy Spirit worked in him. God chose Abram, called Abram, sent Abram, watched over Abram, brought him to this new home, blessed him with faith, protected him, and kept him. God did everything for Abram. That's amazing, isn't it? 
And you might stop and say, why did Abraham get all of these blessings? Why him? Why did he get to be the one who was a blessing to all nations? Why did he get to be the one who could look up at the stars or the sand of the seashore and see that his descendants would be greater than those things? Count them if you can. All of the people who will be blessed through you, Abram. Count them if you can. Why? There's no answer. God decided to do so. He decided to do so by grace. Because who are those people? Who are those people? Greater than the stars of the sky, more in number than the sand of the seashore. It's you. You are these people. Your brothers and sisters in Christ around the world are these people. Your brothers and sisters in generations past and in generations to come are these people. It's us. We. We are the children of Abram. It's amazing. But you know, if we stop to ask why Abram got all of these blessings, and if we stop to marvel at the nature of the blessings that God gave to him, ought we not to stop for a moment and think about the blessings that have been given to each one of us? To you. You are a baptized child of God. You have been washed in the blood of Christ. You have been picked up in the arms of Christ so that when he was nailed to the cross, you died with him. When he was buried in the tomb, you were buried with him. When he rose from the dead, you came back to life with him. You have been given this gift. When he was in the tomb all alone, you as an individual were there with him. Which is a better blessing? A silly question. Indeed, the blessing to Abraham is fulfilled in the death of Christ. The resurrection of Christ. The pouring out of the Spirit, drawing people to Christ, right? So to try and say which is a better blessing, that which was given to Abram or that which is given to you, is a silly question because it's the same blessing. You stand at the fulfillment of it whereas Abram stood at the beginning of it. Abram stood at the beginning of the blessing of salvation given by grace to people who believe. You stand at the fulfillment of it. God has made you his own and brought you into this promise, and it is yours It defines who you are just as Abram's blessing defined him. What do we know about Abram? He was a man who grew up in a pagan country. His father worshipped pagan gods, and yet God called him out of that darkness into this kingdom of light, promised to give him a blessed and beautiful land and give him many descendants. That's a great blessing, right? And yet... It caused him to have to leave everything he knew, travel with only a few people to a place where there were many who surrounded him who didn't understand what he believed, didn't understand why he would do the things that he did, and didn't actually appreciate him very much. He had a lot of trouble with the folks around him. And here was Abram himself walking out about about among his neighbors, just doing his business, 
And every now and then he'd tell people about God and the blessings that God had given him, and they'd kind of look at me like, yeah, right, Abram. <laughs> yeah. You got a big head. You think you're the one through whom God's going to bless all nations, and you know the truth, and nobody else does. All right, Abram. All right. And so Abram continued to walk in faith, and by the time he died, how much of that promised land did he see himself in possession of? Only a cave where the bones of his wife lay. That's it. How many children did he see himself in possession of? Isaac, the child of the promise. Esau, the child of another uh, wife. A few others. That was it. Only the one. By the time his son Isaac died, how much of the promised land was he in possession of? Only the cave where his father's bones and his mother's bones lay. And how many children did he have? Two, one of whom had to flee for his life because the brother wanted to kill him. They were still holding on to this promise. They were still believing. They didn't see the fulfillment of it. They didn't look around and see that it was the beginning of a promise that would be still being talked about today, clung to today by people who are often in exactly the same boat. God has called you out of darkness into light. He has given you a promise that you have been made part of his kingdom, that the forgiveness of sins is yours and that you know the truth of who God is and how he loves you. You know that your sins are forgiven by the blood of Christ and you live in a nation of people that no longer want to hear this. And so you go about your daily business, you go about your world and you're part of this incredible family and blessing and baptism. And yet... When you share that gospel with folks, very often they don't want to hear it. They don't want to believe it. You know all this, huh? God's this great to you, and why isn't he great to other people who believe other things? Right? It seems fairly similar. God has promised you heaven. How much of heaven do you have now? Well, full of water poured over your head. You've got a book that tells you the word of God. You've got a piece of bread and a cup of wine. You hear heaven, you wash in heaven, you eat and drink heaven, but you live in this world. And it's sometimes not that easy, isn't it? You know what Abram went through because you're in the same journey. He walked a long journey. He clung to promises that he didn't always see the fulfillment of or understand with his own head and eyes, but he knew that they were true. You are also on the same journey in baptism, washed in the blood of Christ, believing it's true. You know that this is a gift God gives you. You feed on it, you hear it, you listen to him and follow. And you know one day it all will be there for you, but right now you still cling to it by faith. Faith that justifies. Because God looks at you and he says, there's a person that understands. 
I did all these things. And even though it doesn't always make sense to them, and even though they don't understand it, and even though they always see it, they know that the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross is more important than all the failures they've experienced so intimately in their life and that dog them so painfully. They know that Christ is more important than those things and they cling to him for forgiveness. And the promise made to Abraham was made to you in Christ Jesus in that font because he fulfills that promise to Abram and you live by that promise. Why would God give this to you? Why would this be given to you so specially? Out of all the people on the earth, why would God choose you to have this gift, to walk this life? Because he loves you. Because he is good. Because he has made you his own. Don't look for anything in yourself for the answer to this. It wasn't your smarts. It wasn't your goodness. It wasn't anything about you. It's just that God is good and he loves you. So the only answer to why me is to rephrase the question and just say thank you. Thank you, God. So when you hear those words of gospel, Christ is like a serpent raised up in the wilderness. And all the folks who've been bitten by snakes looked at that serpent and lived. Christ is raised up in our wilderness and we who've been bitten by Satan look to him and are saved. When you hear that promise that all who believe in him will not perish but have eternal life, that's the word that God washed into you in baptism, spoke into you in baptism, feeds into you here, sings to you every day by the sweet gospel and the power of the Spirit. That's a beautiful life. You live a life of promise. A life of promise in Christ Jesus. That's a powerful kind of life to live. And everywhere you go, The aroma of the victory of Christ spreads around you. The water of life flows around you. The gospel of peace is spoken around you. And you invite people to the supper. Come and eat. The feast is laid. It's beautiful. It is beautiful to be blessed like this. May the peace of Christ that passes all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ to life everlasting.